on his deathbed, Machiavelli, the Italian political philosopher, was asked by a priest if he would like to redeem himself by renouncing the devil in all his evil ways. No, said Machiavelli. This is no time to be making enemies. In his small book, The Prince, Machiavelli describes what some have called political realism, stating that it is better to appear virtuous than to actually be virtuous. Working from the vantage point that humans are morally depraved, Machiavelli argued that if a leader had to choose between being loved or feared, it would be better to be feared. For this, he said, is the only way to remain in control. I have grown increasingly curious about how this understanding of human depravity has stifled our imaginations over the past several hundred years, as well as its cultural impact on how we relate to one another, how we relate to the natural world, how our religious institutions function, and so much more. When we see the world through the lens of something like original sin or human depravity, we all too easily forget that the very first thing spoken of us humans in scripture is that we are made in the image and likeness of God, that we are made of God. John the Baptist arrives on the scene in our gospel reading today, inviting everyone to repent and be forgiven of their sins. This word repent, metanoia in the Greek, means something like a turning from forgetfulness or a movement into greater mind. The invitation John offers is an invitation to remember the truth of who we really are at our core, who we are as images of God. In this region of the Jordan River, people have been participating in ritual cleansing for centuries. It has been a way for people to commit themselves to the way of wisdom, to the continual search for God in the depths of the human soul and in the aliveness of creation. Listening to John's invitation to repent in the common tongue of his day would have struck the ears of his hearers as something like an invitation to return to ripeness, to ripeness. As disciples, we are invited to return to our nature as food, as food that is ready to nourish the world with grace. And John says something that has provided ample confusion for theologians and laypersons alike, which is that the Messiah will baptize people with the Rucha God, with the Holy Breath, with the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to be baptized with the water and the Spirit? We have theologically merged these two movements in the church, confessing that the Spirit moves upon the waters of the font just as the holy breath swirled the waters of creation in the beginning, bringing forth new life in each person. 
And while I would never want to separate these movements, certainly not with any fine detail, I do wonder about this business of the baptism with the Holy Spirit. You will recall that when Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night asking how he is to be saved, Jesus responds, you must be born of water and spirit. Some Christian traditions interpret this as what's called a believer baptism, and it's why they don't baptize infants, because you have to be aware of what's happening when you're baptized, they say. As Episcopalians, we emphasize divine grace over human intellect, trusting that the Spirit's movement is not tied to our capacity to understand. Thanks be to God. I have been studying, researching, and meditating on the sacraments my entire adult life, and I can confidently say that if there's one thing I have come to understand about the sacraments, it is that I will never understand. And there's no way for me to fully grasp what I experience when I receive Eucharist week after week. What happened when I was baptized or when today I get to baptize a child? And yet the truth of our relationship with God made newly available through the sacredness of matter and movement in worship has never been more real for me than it is today. So, I wonder about being baptized with the Holy Spirit as something that may be distinct, if not separable from our baptism with water. I'm especially curious about this connection of being washed of forgetfulness, so to return to ripeness and what it means for us to be nourishment for the world. We think a lot about food in our home. Wiles, our son, is home from college, which means that we have a menu that gets configured when he walks in the door. The first few days he is with us, we eat all of our kitchen's greatest hits. Ada, our daughter, who is still gallivanting in France, supposedly studying and taking classes, mentions at least once a day what she wants to eat when she gets home. We have a flavor-filled home. And food has always been an important part of our life as a family. Amanda and I were reflecting this past week on how important it was for our children that we ate together so frequently. Unlike a lot of families, we were able to eat together daily, usually at least twice a day. Even when Wiles and Ada were in high school, we ate breakfast and dinner together most days. We prayed together as a family every night before one of us wandered off to bed. And it is these simple habits that really carried our family without realizing it. Without realizing it, we were nourishing each other with our presence, with God's presence, even when there was no food involved. What I've been reflecting on recently is just how deeply connected The daily visitation of God is with our daily presence with each other. In our scripture readings over the past several weeks, we've heard a lot about staying awake and being alert, which is another way of saying be present. 
What if being baptized with the Holy Spirit as something distinct from our water-filled baptisms is a recurring visitation of the holy breath of God in our lives, which inhabits us and we it to the degree that our lives are open to receive the Spirit, to the degree that we are present with God and each other. Some have described this baptism as a releasing of the Spirit, a kind of freeing the Spirit from the constraints of our expectations, our judgments and fears from societal or religious norms and opening ourselves to the divine movement within. Accordingly, when we release the spirit to move about every nook and cranny of our lives, we become nourishment for the world, nourishment for each other. As we embark on a new year of life together as a church, tending God's love in each other, tending God's love through spiritual practice and care for the earth, tending God's love by opening our building to the community, we are invited as a people of faith to release the spirit in our church, to open our hearts and imaginations to a deep remembering of who we really are as images of God, remembering that we are here to connect more deeply with God and each other, to deepen our attention to this intention for our church. Ascension is growing, and it's growing because of your commitment to the Spirit's work in our midst. And Jesus stands ever ready to baptize ascension with the holy breath of God. No doubt this will test what we know to be real or true. It will test as it has tested how we've done things before. It will test what we may have imagined for our future. And if we are willing, it will open us to be newly present to each other and our community in the abiding presence of God. One way that we are being baptized by the Spirit is through small groups. And small groups reminds Peter Block, change the world. Our Sunday morning small groups, our agape fellowship groups, groups like the Brotherhood ECW, the many small groups in our children, youth, and family ministries are all deepening the spiritual lives of those who engage in them. The challenge for our church is learning how these groups will be mutually supportive, mutually encouraging as we move forward together. Surrounded as we are by a world of competition, it is easy. It is easy to forget that we have no need in the church to protect ourselves from each other. Rather, we are invited to nourish each other with mutual encouragement and support. There's a saying in Haiti that if you get a piece of cake and you eat the whole thing, you will feel empty. If you get a piece of cake and share half of it, you will feel both full and fulfilled. 
Think about the groups in which you are engaged, whether it's a ministry, a committee, a small group, the vestry, or what have you. What would it look like? What would it look like for you to say yes to everyone who crosses your path? What would it look like for the spirit to be so released in your life that your small groups and in your committee meetings, when someone presented an idea, the very first thing that popped into your heart and mind is the possibility this idea or event might bring about in the life of our church and community. What would it look like for you and your group to see what's right with something before getting worked up over logistics or any challenges it might involve? It is vital for us to remember a teaching from Mother Teresa who reminds that when we truly desire something, when we truly desire what is good for us, the universe conspires to make it happen. When we walk out in faith, step by step, the ground forms beneath our feet. The resources we need, the skills we need, the protection we need come to us. What we need is not acquired before we act. Anyone who has taken on a new job a new leadership position, or has had a new child enter their home, knows that you're never ready until you actually do what's been entrusted to you. At church, I think the question before us is whether we will have faith enough to let the ground form beneath our feet as we live into reality the sacredness of our life together. Will we have the wherewithal to explore possibilities and opportunities before we get worked up over whether or how it can happen? Will we remember that we are made of God, made of possibility, and that only the degree to which we are present to God and each other will we experience the presence of God and become nourishment for each other and the world about us. Baptism is an invitation to wash away our forgetfulness day by day. Our forgetfulness of God's daily visitation, presence, and possibilities, and to breathe anew daily the holy breath of the Spirit who has not and will not forget us. In the end, there really is no risk involved. We might fail. We might fail. We might make mistakes. Yet, if we remain attentive to the presence, attentive to God, seeking the face of Christ, we cannot help but have our hearts transformed. And if we are truly tending God's love, it is all but guaranteed that we will make mistakes. There is, however, a greater guarantee, redemption and renewal. So, on this annual meeting Sunday, the second Sunday of Advent, the second Sunday of the new year, I invite each of us to remember this simple truth. And if you've heard nothing else, listen now. The seeds that grow 
are the seeds we tend with our attention. The seeds that grow are the seeds we tend with our attention. Our attention is like the waters of baptism. If we pour our lives over the seeds of possibility, joy, in our church and in each other, the seeds of controversy, the seeds of scarcity, the seeds of control, and the seeds of fear will have no opportunity to sprout or take root. And the seeds of possibility, the seeds of joy, and the seeds of renewal, receiving our fullest attention, will flourish in each of us as we become the people of infinite possibility God has made us to be. Amen.